Hi, this is Mark, lead pastor of Lux Digital Church. I want to thank you for joining us today and also invite you to join with us live at twitch.tv slash Church every Wednesday night at 8.30 p.m. EST. Thank you for joining us and please enjoy this message. Hey everybody, hey church family, it's so good to be here with you guys tonight. I hope everybody is doing so well. My name is Mark, I am the uh, lead pastor here at Lux Digital Church. I just want to say thank you for being here with us tonight. We appreciate you, we thank you. Uh, man, thanks for being here. It's good to see everybody, all the amens in the chat, so awesome. Uh, if you're here for the first time with us tonight, just want to say hello and thank you for being here with us. Thank you for making us part of your week and uh, and just being part of our church family tonight. Um, if you're here for the very first time, listen, we take very seriously our first time guests. And so, uh, we even do this thing where we let you let us know how we've done. And so if you have some thoughts about how we've done things or how we might be able to do them better, we're going to hit exclamation point guest in the chat. I know that's kind of a surprise, uh, but exclamation point guest in the chat, give you a link. You can let us know how we're doing. And whenever you feel comfortable, drop a follow here on the channel or say hello in the chat. We'd love just to get to know you. Welcome you into our family. If you drop a follow here in the chat, all we're going to do is send you an, uh, a note, a, a DM on Twitch tomorrow and just say, hey, thanks for coming and joining us. We appreciate you. Come and join us on Discord. That's really where our church is. We we do church on Twitch. Like we have our services here on Twitch, but our church really exists uh, inside of Discord. Hey, Bougie, glad to see you're taking a break from discipling your Pokemon, uh, aka leveling up uh, to come and hang out with us. I guess the game finally formally broke for you and you decided to return it. So it's good to see you. Welcome back in. Hell, how you doing, buddy? Um, guys, I'm going to be honest. So tonight we're closing out a series of messages called Kingdom Culture. And this is the message out of the entire series of the four that are like, I don't know if you've ever known things where like, you're going to be uh, like, you're, you say something and you're like, this is going to get used against me. Sometimes you would say it like with a brother or a sister or with your parents growing up. And you're like, man, that's going to get turned around and used against me. Uh, now with my children, like I'm realizing that that happens all the time like literally I'll say things and I just know that my daughter is going to be able to spin that back against me in the future like if I'm going to spit it out she's going to call me out if I'm a hypocrite and when we have went through this series we've talked about generosity we've talked about being generous with our time and our talent and our treasure and in each part of that I've, I've been able to come with some level of confidence and say no, I, I give my time to the church. I give abundantly above my time to the church. Not only do I work full time for Lux, but I also give exceedingly above that when I'm serving with people, loving on people, preparing things, writing sermons. I've always been learned. I've always learned to be generous with my time with the church and with the kingdom. When it comes to my talent, I've leveraged everything in my life, uh, my ability to public speak, my uh, ability to vision cast, all of those things I've leveraged for the kingdom of God. When it comes to my financial resources, like we talked about last week briefly, I listen, we've tithed, we've given above and beyond. But when it comes to this last one, this one is one of those that it's like, no, tomorrow, this can probably get swung back against me because if there's one area of generosity where I am literally terrible it's this one 
and it might be one of the most important, if not the most important one in today's day and age, and it's what we're going to talk about tonight. Before we dive into that, I want to do a brief overview of where we've been. We've talked about how we need to be generous with our time, with our talent, and with our treasure, and I just want to say thank you, because our church family really has shown up. Over the past month, there's been several people who've begun volunteering on our dream team, and many of you have given more time than you've ever ever given before. Listen, we went from you would share your prayer concerns, and we would pray for them during service to now those prayer concerns are gathered by a member of our team and several members of our team meet on Monday nights to pray over every prayer concern that comes up here in our chat. Our small group ministry has expanded and more people are serving in our small group ministry than ever before. There's more people showing up for pre-service huddles when it's not the night before Thanksgiving and uh, and are serving in post-service every week. People are giving up their time. Then there's folks who've stepped up and began giving up their talent and, and you got to realize that it doesn't really matter what your talent is there's use in God's king. You, listen, you can be passionate about great graphic design. And you can say, I don't know how good graphic design really fits into the kingdom. But let me tell you, like design fits into the kingdom because people pass up bad designs. And when there's great designs, it intrigues people and draws their attention and pulls their eye. And that gives them the opportunity to experience just for a moment the love of a genuine community of people who want to follow and chase down Jesus. And through that, maybe they stick around, they get that opportunity to hear about the love of Jesus for them and maybe place their faith in Jesus and then come along and serve. And we've seen people from our church step up and give of their talents to join the stream team and our stream allies and to make content that's wholesome and family friendly that people can come in and engage with and receive prayer during. We've seen people all across our church step up and serve in areas of their life where they feel gifted. And then last week we sat down and we talked about treasure, how we can be generous with our financial resources. And many of you joined us for the all in initiative that we opened up last week and gave generously. Many of the members of our team gave, some of you gave for the very first time. You opened up a section of your life that previously had been closed off to God and you've said, God, I'm going to trust you, not just with my time and talent, but I'm also going to trust you with my finances. I'm going to support the church like you've called me to, or at least I'm going to take a first step in that direction. And if you haven't joined us for All In yet, it's not too late. That's run all week long. It's still open. We're going to be talking about it over this next year, but we're asking you tonight, if you haven't taken that step, if you heard us preach last week, if you heard me preach last week about the importance of tithing and taking steps in generosity, and you're ready to take that next step, head over to our website, luxdigitalchurch.com slash all in, or grab the link that's in the chat that Doc just posted and jump in with us. Listen to the power of the Holy Spirit. Listen to what God is telling you and trust him in your first or your next steps on your generosity journey here at Lux. Many of you have taken those steps and we're so very thankful. So tonight we're going to turn our attention from those three things to something that might be surprising to you, especially because we're a digital church. Lady Mist, it's good to see you. Welcome to church, especially because we're a digital church and that's generosity with our touch. 
Now, you might be hearing that and being like, that seems super weird, touch. Like, what do you, and, and when I say touch, what I really mean is generosity with our presence and our attention. But you, it doesn't really roll off the tongue to say being generous with our time, talent, treasure, and presence, but it does roll off the tongue to say time, talent, treasure, and touch. And so this is all about how we actually engage with and touch people's lives. And we're going to talk about the importance of it tonight. Mostly what we're going to talk about is the Bible tonight and some of the stories of Jesus and the disciples. But before we dive into that, I want to make sure I bring up our key statement for this series. It's the statement that we have had throughout the entire series of messages, and it's this. The kingdom of God is marked by extravagant generosity. The kingdom of God is marked by extravagant generosity. Picture it like this. The kingdom of God is marked by people who live open handed lives. It's full of people who don't clutch and hang on to things, but live lives where they live open-handed with their time, with their talents, with their resources, and with their presence. Now, most churches would stop after time. Talent and treasure would be a three-part series and we would close it down. But I believe that our touch is one of the most important things for us to be generous with. And I'm going to tell you why. We're going to dive into a story from the book of Matthew about Jesus. But before we do, I'm going to make sure that I set a little bit of the context. We're going to dive deeper into the context after I read the passage, but it's also vitally important that I set the scene. The passage that we're going to look at tonight in the story starts in the book of Matthew chapter 8. Now, if you don't know who Matthew was, Matthew was previously a Jewish tax collector. He literally collected taxes from the Jews, and he was Jewish himself, and gave it to the Romans. He was typically a relatively hated individual that Jesus called from his tax collector's booth, which he left behind what was likely a very lucrative opportunity to follow Jesus. Walking away from everything, he became one of the 12 disciples. This same Matthew wrote a list of eyewitness accounts down that outlined much of the highlights and portions of Jesus' life. Now, Matthew's book is broken into 28 chapters, and chapters 5, 6, and 7 are all about the same thing. 5, 6, and 7 all recount stories from something called the Sermon on the Mount. Now, the Sermon on the Mount was a series of messages that likely lasted multiple days that Jesus gave on a hillside by the Sea of Galilee outside of a small fishing village called Capernaum. I've actually been on the hillside. I've been next to Capernaum whenever I traveled to Israel back in 2012. We got to sit on the hillside where the Sermon on the Mount was. It was almost like a natural amphitheater right on the Sea of Galilee. And there, Jesus taught for multiple days. The story picks up as that teaching breaks up. Now, Matthew has already outlined a whole bunch of things that Jesus talked about. He talks about divorce and hatred and murder and lust. He talks about judgment and he talks about the kingdom of God. He talks about money and, well, just to name a few, Jesus outlines a bunch of stuff and although we don't get a manuscript of everything that he said over the course of several days, Matthew captures a lot of the high points and main things that Jesus talked about during that Sermon on the Mount. Then we pick up this story in Matthew chapter 8, verse 1, when a very sick man approaches Jesus as the Sermon on the Mount is coming to an end. I love the Sermon on the Mount. So do I, War of the Fanboys. It's a, it's a great passage. 
It says this in Matthew 8, verses 1 through 4. Large crowds followed Jesus as they came to the mountainside, came down the mountainside. Suddenly a man with leprosy approached him and knelt before him. Lord, the man said, if you are willing, you can heal me and make me clean. Jesus reached out and touched him. I am willing, he said be healed. And instantaneously, the leprosy disappeared. Then Jesus said to him, don't tell anyone about this. Instead, go to the priests and tell them to examine you. Take along the offering required in the law of Moses for those who have been healed of leprosy. This will be a public testimony that you have been cleansed. Okay, let me grab a drink. (laughs) Let's unpack this a little bit. Let's dive into a little bit more context. So Jesus encounters this really sick man, and the Bible tells us he has leprosy. Now, if you don't know what leprosy is, which many of you probably at least have some understanding of it, hey, good to see you, John of Cheshire. That is false, (laughs) not contained in the scriptures. That's an interesting point of view. Um, Jesus encounters this man as he comes off of uh, the Sermon on the Mount, and this man has leprosy. We have to understand the context and what leprosy actually is, and especially what it is for the time and the day. First off, leprosy was a horrific disease. It's a nerve like a, 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 a nerve disorder that literally it, it moves from bubbles on your skin to turning your skin white and sections of your skin dying. Then over time, the skin that dies eventually takes your appendages, fingers, toes, ears, even nose will fall off. And to understand the fullness of that, you have to understand what it also meant culturally, because it was more than just a disease. See, 2,000 years ago, they also believed that leprosy was wildly contagious. And in addition to being wildly contagious, was also something that was untreatable and uncurable. And because of that, anybody who contracted leprosy would be examined at the temple, and then they would be cast out of the community. And they would typically live either alone or in leper colonies that were outside of the common folk. So much so that a leper actually had to shout, unclean, 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 unclean when he would come near any group of people. And those people would commonly just flee from them. Because if you came in contact with someone with leprosy, you became unclean by being near them or by touching them to the point that you yourself wasn't, weren't allowed to go to the temple. So it's no wonder that Leprosy was such a horrible thing. Not only was it debilitating and destructive and led to a slow and painful, horrific death, but it was also terribly isolating. It exiled you from your friends and from your family, from your culture, from your city, and from your home. And then, in the end of the day, it was also seen as a curse from God. Those who had leprosy, and in fact, there are people in Scripture who were cursed or even attacked by God, and that curse or that attack by God came out in the form of people getting leprosy. We actually see that happening in the Old Testament stories. And so because of that, leprosy was this horribly debilitating reality that some people had to deal with. And so it's shocking that this man is even here. For someone to approach a religious leader in the way that this man is doing it is almost crazy. This guy 
should not be here. Now, I don't know to what degree he has leprosy or how long this man has had leprosy, but he comes to Jesus and he asks for healing, which tells us a couple of things. One, this man had to have believed that Jesus had the power to heal him. Now, whether that's because he's heard that Jesus has done healings before, he's witnessed it with his own eyes, or he believes this rabbi, this teacher, is different than ones who've come in the past, he's not approaching other rabbis or teachers. In fact, it would be uncommon or unheard of for someone with leprosy to come rushing up to another rabbi or teacher begging for healing. But this man believed that Jesus was different. He believed that Jesus was actually able to heal him. Not only that, but he comes before him where there's a large crowd. Thousands of people had gathered for the Sermon on the Mount on the hills outside of Capernaum. This man who has leprosy should not be around this many people. The encounter shouldn't happen. And so now we have Jesus standing face to face with a man with leprosy. And he says, will you heal me? And Jesus responds in these really four profound words. He said, I am willing. Be healed. Five words. I am willing. Be healed. Now, not only does this man receive healing, likely in front of a crowd of people, not only is he cured, but there's this small section that comes just before that. Only a few words. We don't spend a lot of time on it, and we focus on the healing, but I think there's something important. The Bible says this. He reached out and touched him. Jesus reached out and touched him. Something else that was common for people who had leprosy was anybody who had a defiling skin disease 2,000 years ago in Jewish culture were considered untouchables, people that you couldn't lay your hand on. To reach out and touch someone that was untouchable is an action very few people in Jesus' day and age would risk. And Jesus could have said to this man, you are healed, be well. He could have said, I am willing, be healed. And his words were enough. And we know this because there was other passages where Jesus actually says that healing will take place without ever laying hands on somebody. The touch of Jesus isn't the thing that heals, but the touch of Jesus speaks to something so significant and so much deeper. Jesus touches an untouchable man. And we see this in the life of Jesus modeled there, but we also see it echoed and lived out in the life of his disciples. In fact, there's another man, Peter and John. Peter and John were traveling about in Jerusalem when they encountered a person who had been lame from birth. And we see this story come to us from the book of Acts. And I see that John of Cheshire likes another version of the Bible. Appreciate you, John of Cheshire. You can go read your version of the Bible. It says this, Peter and John went to the temple one afternoon to take part in the three o'clock prayer service. As they approached the temple, a man lame from birth was being carried in. Each day he was put beside the temple gate, the one called the beautiful gate, so he could beg from people going into the temple. When he saw Peter and John about to enter, he asked them for some money. Peter and John looked at him intently, and Peter said, Look at us. 
The lame man looked at them eagerly, expecting some money. But Peter said, I don't have any silver or, or, or gold for you, but I will give you what I have. In the name of Jesus Christ, the Nazarene, get up and walk. Get up and walk. Acts 3, 1 through 6. Here we have a story of Jesus' disciples in the city of Jerusalem. They're walking through the city when they come by a man who's been strategically placed in a gateway. Here the man lays day after day from birth begging to get by. Day after day, dozens if not thousands of people walk past this man. Some of them giving, many of them not. Now, I don't know if you've ever been in that situation before. Maybe you have been there. Maybe you haven't been there. I don't know if you've ever come out of a sporting event in a major city or something, and you've seen people who are there on the side of the road, and they're begging. They're on the sidewalk, and they're asking for money. Now, usually one of two things goes through your head. Either A, I don't have any cash on me because we live in a society that very rarely carries cash. It's often the situation that I'm in. Or B, I don't have the time nor the desire to help this person. And so what do you do? Well, typically when you're in that situation, you don't look at them. You make your way past them quietly trying to pretend that they're not there or that they don't exist. Or if they reach out to you for help, you might respond doing your best to be polite. But once again, you don't make eye contact. You don't get drawn into the conversation. You don't allow your eyes to move to them. Now, maybe you're not like me and or perhaps you've never been in that situation before. But both when I've been in cities or when I've been in third world countries, I've had that experience where I simply either didn't have the means or the will to do anything at that moment. And so I've chosen to look the other way. I'm sure many of you can relate to that story. So here we have a man who most people likely do not even look at. And Peter and John stop beside him and they say, listen, money I don't have. Silver and gold, listen, I can't offer you. And what's interesting is they stop and they say to the man, look at us. Now it actually has an exclamation point there in the Bible. And I think that you should read the exclamation points that you find in scripture. They stop by the man and he is so used to laying on the ground begging that he doesn't even expect anybody to turn their eyes to him. He's so used to being overlooked. He's so used to being ignored. He's so used to not being seen that he turns, they, he doesn't even recognize that the disciples are there to the point that disciples have to say to the man, look at us. And when he looks to them, he thinks he's going to receive something from them. But there's another small little section in this passage that I think is so powerful. It says that Peter and John looked at this man intently. Jesus took time to touch the untouchable. The disciples took time to look at those that nobody noticed. And as followers of Jesus, we have to be just as generous with our intention and with our presence. We live in a world where people are consistently distracted by dozens of different things. 
there's eight pieces of us going in 16 different directions at any given moment. With the rise of media and the access to all the information that we have, our multitasking skills, which can biologically almost never actually improve because you actually can't biologically multitask, your brain can only focus on one thing at a time, just means that we split our attention and our mental resources between lots of different things at once. FOMO is at an all-time rise to the point that we don't want to miss out on anything and we've become addicted to the endorphin hits that come from getting a notification or a DM from somebody. And what it results in is that we are frequently only ever half present where we actually are. So we're in a conversation with our boss, but swiping away a notification on our smartphone. We are at a family function or a holiday, but we're playing a game on our phone. We're doing one thing, but we're distracted by another. We're talking with a friend, but we're balancing our checkbook as well. There's simply so much to get done in the day that we normally don't feel like we can be in one place at one time. We always want to be two places. Our attention and our presence is frequently split. Perhaps your attention is currently split between a video game on the other monitor and church tonight. And maybe that woke you up and I grabbed your attention for a moment. The point is, frequently, we don't give our full attention or our full presence to anything. And a desire to be in more than one place at the same time and to consume as much as we possibly can, what we inevitably end up doing is we fail to really ever be anywhere. Whenever I uh, was at my previous job, I worked for a church for 11 years. And about six years in, I took a job as um, a, a discipleship pastor. And in that, I oversaw discipleship, assimilation, and care. And so as the care director, what I would do is I would organize people to do hospital visits or organize people to receive meals. And then whenever there was an emergency that we felt like it wasn't okay to send a volunteer to, I would frequently be the one on call that would step in to an otherwise very difficult situation. So we got a call one day that a member of our church whom I did not know's son in their early 30s had suddenly passed away and dropped over dead when they were at work. They asked if a pastor could come to the hospital and be with the family. So I jumped in my vehicle and came to the hospital to meet the family that I had never met before for the very first time on the day that they lost their 30-some-year-old son. Now, what I was not prepared for was what was coming next, and there was no ministry training or seminary degree that would have gotten me ready for it. I came into the room, and this young man who had just been brought in from the ambulance uh, had been dead for a while and was still on the table. The family had gathered outside the room, but all of them still needed mom, dad, brothers, sisters, girlfriends, nieces, and nephews needed the opportunity to go in and say goodbye to their loved one. I had never been in a situation like that. And to be honest, I was pretty nervous. I didn't know what I would say or how I should say it. I had never been in a room with a dead body before, so this was going to be a first experience for me. But I walked into the room with this young man's body. He was no longer there, but his family needed to say goodbye. And I sat in a chair next to his bed as his family members, father, mother, brother, sister-in-law, nieces and nephews, and girlfriend came in sat next to him, wept, and said goodbye. For some of them, I offered a prayer. For most, I was simply in the room so that they didn't have to be in there alone. 
All in all, I sat in the room with this young man's body for a little over three hours as their family members made their way in and said some goodbyes. It was that day that I realized that my words meant very little. In fact, probably none of them will remember anything that I had to say that day or even at the young man's funeral a little while later. But what they will likely remember is that I was there, that my presence was undivided. I wasn't split between them and others. And if I'm honest with you, when the rubber meets the road and it's really important, I'm usually pretty good. I can be present. But when the rubber doesn't meet the road, and it's in the day-to-day, I usually kind of suck at this. I'm sitting on the couch with my family or with my wife, and instead of being fully present, I'm playing around with something on my phone. I'm responding to Discord DMs. I'm setting up a meeting with somebody. I'm messaging back and forth. My mind isn't really present because I'm thinking about the work that I have to do the next day or the stuff that I have to go to later that night. I'm good whenever it's important, but that's not enough. Listen, there's people that we encounter in our day-to-day life that are desperately in need of our presence. People that feel untouchable. People that feel totally and completely unseen. People that feel as though there's no one in life that really cares about them and that they're going through life aimlessly. And when we're texting on our phone, when we're checking out at the grocery store, or we're doing everything that we're doing at the bank that week, it just reinforces the lie that nobody cares about them and they're not important. Whenever we don't take the time to actually notice somebody or see somebody, or we're flicking away on our smartwatch during an active conversation with somebody else, it reinforces a lie that they're not worthy of listening to and what they have to say doesn't really matter. I think the church does a good job of talking about generosity with time and talent and treasure, but we don't do a good job at talking about being exceedingly generous in God's kingdom with our presence. We're in a world right now that is in desperate need for people to be fully aware and fully present where they are, to give their full and undivided attention. It's one of the most generous things that we can do for somebody is to just simply be there with them. And I believe that Jesus set a model for this. He reached out and touched a man that was untouchable. He took a moment to be with a leper, someone who was cursed and exiled from his community after spending days preaching to literally thousands of people on a hillside. That Peter and John on their way to the temple took a moment to notice a man and make eye contact to draw his attention of somebody that had been overlooked and unseen by so many people before. Jesus calls us to recognize and to see the unseen, to listen to those who feel like they don't have a voice, to be a presence in the people who feel the people's lives who feel like there's nobody who actually genuinely cares about them. This is something that the church has the power to do in our culture that almost no other organization does. There's government agencies for housing and for food and for everything else, but there is nobody who will simply go and be there with you. So I don't know where you are tonight, but my guess is in the world that we live in of multiple devices and our attention being drawn in so many different directions that you can relate with this to a certain extent.
You felt like your attention has been split and your presence hasn't been always in the places that it needs to be. You haven't been fully aware and, and with your children when you've been with them. And instead of being in one place at one time in an attempt to be in multiple, you've never really been anywhere. You can feel the frantic panic in your spirit and in your soul when you feel like you've tried to be in a dozen different places and failed to be in any single one of them fully or well. It's time to focus our attention and learn to be generous with our presence, to give other human beings and the people in our lives the fullness of our attention. I believe it has the ability to transform our lives, but also transform the lives of the people that we encounter. I think one of the areas of life that I need to learn to be more generous with is my attention and my presence. And my guess is you do too, which is our next step this week. Our next step is this. I will be where I am this week. I will be where I am this week. Now that might seem literally stupid or it might seem almost like too plain, but think through it. Too often we are where we are, but we're attempting to be somebody else. Settle in with where you are this week. Be present with where you are this week. It might require you to curate the things on your phone so you don't get notifications. You might have to delete a whole bunch of apps. You might have to get rid of the tyranny of the urgent and the tyranny of the notification by taking off your smartwatch or setting your phone down or turning it off for a couple hours a day so you're not tempted to mindlessly or idly flick through Instagram or social media whenever you're supposed to be present with the people immediately around you. Learn to be present. I have to do all of those things and as it turns out, a whole lot more. Because if there's any message in this series that has convicted me, it's been this one. To become generous with our touch, with our presence, with our attention. To be fully where we are is one of the most generous things that we can do. Let's pray. Father, I love you and I thank you. I thank you for this evening and I thank you, God, that you've been here with us and that you're powerful and at work. I pray, God, that your Holy Spirit would work in hearts and minds and lives tonight. I love you, Lord, and I thank you. In your name we pray. Amen. Thanks for listening to this week's message at Lux Digital Church. If Lux has been having an impact on your life, I want to encourage you to visit us at luxdigitalchurch.com and get connected to our community there. We're so thankful for you and we appreciate you. Have a blessed day and a blessed week.